MSW Media. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. Well, this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Dunn. What we're drinking today, lots of stuff from our friends at Barrel Craft Spirits. We're going to be drinking some whiskey. In just a little bit, I'm going to be talking to the founder of Barrel Craft Spirits, which is one of my favorite companies in the industry. Joe Beatrice is the man who started that uh, that company about seven years ago in Louisville, Kentucky. And they have a they do something quite unusual in the spirits business, at least as far as uh, the American spirits business goes. So I'm excited to talk to Joe about what Barrel Craft Spirits does that makes them so unique. Also on the show, one of the stars of the hit Netflix series, Never Have I Ever, Ben Norris, is going to be joining us later on in the show, and he and I are going to be drinking some barrel whiskey together. Getting crazy. Uh, some things to talk about. Uh, I was supposed to be on the Adam Carolla show this week, the 17th. I was supposed to be on August 17th. That got bumped back a week, so I will be on, if everything goes as planned now, on August 24th, I'll be on the Adam Carolla show doing a martini segment with Adam, Brian, and Gina. We'll be making, trying to discover the perfect martini. We're going to do a gin martini. We're going to do a vodka martini. We're going to do dirty. We're going to do a Vesper. We're going to, we're going to mix and match olives versus twist, everything. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this Thursday, August 20th, I'll be on Flaviar's YouTube channel, Nightcap Live, 8 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be doing that, uh, 5 Pacific, Flaviar, every week, every Thursday I'm there. I, I MC that. I'm also going to be on uh, JCB Live, Jean-Charles Boisset, winemaker. He makes wine with uh, John Legend. I'm doing an Instagram Live with him on, on August 19th at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time on Jean-Charles Boisset's Instagram. Thanks. Many thanks to everybody who wrote in. Everybody really liked the last episode we did about The Onion. Very funny. I want to thank The Onion for giving me so much material to work with on that. So before we get to our guests, I want to I want to get into a little bit of news. There's all kinds of things going on. I mean, most of the news is bad, but there's news in the spirits industry as well, and some of it's bad and some of it's good. We'll start with bad. My home uh, state, Pennsylvania, I'm actually from Philadelphia. The uh, the governor there in Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf, uh, has, uh, like in many states, has mandates about what you can and can't do in bars. So according to a news report from WPXI-TV back there, it says a group of Pennsylvania bar and restaurant owners may defy Governor Tom Wolf's mandates, possibly opening an increasing capacity inside their establishments. Okay, people are getting antsy, frustrated, fed up. Quote, it's not an ultimatum to anybody. All I'm trying to do 
prove a point, says Rod Ambrosi, owner of Al's Cafe and president of the Southwestern Pennsylvania Restaurant and Tavern Association. He says he's fighting for his family business that's been around for decades. So they sent a letter to the governor and they gave the governor an ultimatum to get back with what they believe are reasonable measures. They can serve alcohol without meals. They can allow direct bar service and increase their capacity past 25%. And when that reporter asked him, what do you mean? 50, 75, hundred, he said, it's not a hundred percent. It can't be a hundred percent. If we do the distancing, we're still cutting down our capacity. So it sounds like this guy wants to have a lot of people in his bar. And I understand it. I really do. It, it, this is a, this has got to be the most traumatic thing to any small business, any restaurant owner, any bar owner, I cannot imagine what they're going through. But I also understand that the virus doesn't care. Virus isn't going to go, well, you know, he does need to keep his business going, so let's jam some more people in there, and I'll just lay off of those people. That's not going to happen. I don't know what the answer is here, but what these bar owners are threatening in Pennsylvania is to break the rules. And I pretty sure that's not going to be the answer. Um, in fact, the state has come down pretty hard and said if if these uh, bars decide to break the rules, they're going to lose their liquor licenses. It's a mess. The whole damn thing is a mess, and, and I don't even know what the solution is, but I, I don't think the solution is cramming as many people into your bar as possible. And we all know what's going to happen. I see it here in Venice, where I live out in California, it's give them an inch, they'll take a yard. I mean, I've gone past bars that are supposed to be doing masks and social distancing, and there are just people crammed in there. And folks, we're not going to get through this if we don't do what we got to do. We got to social distance. We got to wear the mask. We got to squash this virus. As I said before, it doesn't care. Doesn't care how your business is doing. Doesn't care how long you've had your family business. All it cares about is there's bodies, hosts that it can get into. And as long as we keep giving, providing the virus plenty of opportunities to get into more and more people, we're never getting the fuck out of this mess. Okay? Moving on. Florida news. And it's not Florida man. It should start that way. But it says uh, South Florida craft distilleries are sitting on hundreds of gallons of unsold hand sanitizer, according to the uh, Orlando Sun Sentinel. You'll remember early on in this pandemic, a lot of distilleries pivoted to making uh, hand sanitizer. Everybody thought hand sanitizer was the key out of this thing. And I people are still using it, but certainly not at the level. It's the same thing with toilet paper. People went apeshit, pardon the pun, and had to get all the toilet paper. They also needed all the hand sanitizer. Well, that the demand for that's gone down. And now you've got a lot of these, these distilleries, uh, one of the ones they're talking about here, is Chain Bridge Distillery in Oakland Park. They've got about a 500-gallon stockpile of hand sanitizer just taking up space at their distillery. It was needed during that first wave, and they were donating it to frontline workers, emergency responders, and they were selling tiny bottles to the public. But by June, there was not a lot of demand for hand sanitizer, and especially because big brands like Purell started to return to the stores and whatnot. So... Now you've got these distilleries storing a bunch of hand sanitizer. They're probably going to be stuck with that forever. They're going to end up dumping it. Oh, just more happy news. More and more happy. All right. Okay, fine. I do have some happy news. I swear to you. This is good news here. Um, this is a report 
from Wine Enthusiast. It says distillery tasting rooms are reopening, but with some serious changes. My friend Karen Newman wrote this piece roughly five months after distilleries closed their doors to the public to halt the spread of the novel coronavirus pandemic. Many started to reopen for tours and tastings. Of course, it's not quite business as usual. Distilleries have made substantial changes with social distancing and safety guidelines in mind. So, as you can, we all know the drill here, you know, it's going to be mass, it's going to be social distancing, you got to be six feet apart, you can only have two people in there at a time. You know, typically a lot of these distillery bars have these, you know, high-end cocktails and all, they're, they're getting rid of all of that, trying to get rid of lines, trying to move people through quickly. Some distilleries have gotten creative to make outdoor drinks enticing. North Charleston's Firefly Distillery which had opened a new space in February, only have a close in March, now serves cocktails from an Airstream trailer for guests to enjoy at picnic tables outdoors. It, it's fascinating to watch human beings, how they adapt to situations. And I know I was saying earlier that the, the thing that we need to do most, we're, we're not doing on the scale we need to, which is to just shut it down. But that said, I am really impressed watching what, some of these bars and restaurants are doing the lengths they're going to us here in California, any bar restaurant that has a parking lot is fencing it in and putting in tables and, and making an outdoor space. And they're not making as much money as they did before, but it's keeping them in business. So distilleries are opening. I don't know <laughs> how I feel about it. Ah, I can't wait to drink some whiskey. I really can't. I'm going to be doing that shortly with Ben Norris. Um, I, I'm hoping that in the future weeks and months, I'm going to be able to bring you more and more good news about things that are going on. Oh, I did see today that uh, Ryan Reynolds sold Aviation Gin for like $600 million to Diageo. So that's good news if you're Ryan Reynolds. Switch gears, get the news off the fact that you got married in a plantation. That was the big news last week. They apologized to Brian Reynolds and Blake Lively for getting married seven years ago on a plantation uh, property, which I thought was kind of silly that they would have to apologize for that. But I mean, really, if you look at it, all the ground in the United States is unsacred ground now. You know, we de we defiled this place when we got here. So if you're going to use those standards, uh, then we, nobody will be able to do anything anywhere in the United States. But that said, the news has now shifted away from... Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively's uh, wedding faux pas to the fact that Ryan Reynolds just got even richer than he already is by selling aviation gin to Diageo. Didn't get Clooney money, didn't get the billion, didn't get Patron money. I think they got three billion from Bacardi, but 650 million, something in that. That's nothing to sneeze at. So congratulations, Ryan Reynolds. You deserve it. And now. Why don't we get to our first interview of the day, huh? But joining me now, the founder of one of my favorite companies in the adult beverage industry, Barrelcraft Spirits, was founded in 2013 in Louisville, Kentucky, and they have an interesting business model, uh, a little bit different than what you normally see in the spirits industry in the United States. And to talk about that and what they're doing there is the proprietor. Barrelcraft Spirits, Joe Beatrice. Joe, how are you, man? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for being here. You know, I've, I've been a fan 
of of what you're doing for a while. I, you know, I've hosted events up in Pebble Beach, and we've had Barrel take part of that, and a couple of years ago, and everybody loved it. So, talk about what you do. You what makes the what makes your company different than a lot of the uh, whiskey uh, producers in in America? Well, at the heart of what we do, and um, is that we're blenders. We we are we 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 spend the majority of our time when we're not dealing with government regulations and things um, with the product and creating different different blends of the bourbons, the ryes, the whiskeys, and then innovating some really interesting new um, uh, finished whiskeys. So, and we try to bring um, the most interesting, different, innovative products that that we all love here. Um, and so just so people understand though, Joe, I just want to make, so you're, you're sourcing, you're curating whiskeys in a way, like you're going out, you're finding it, you're picking from here and here and here, which is something you see happen uh, more often in places like Scotland, for instance. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, at the time you started doing it, it wasn't happening a lot here in the United States. Right. That is correct. Um, we, we are among the first to do that. Um, and over the last Six seven years, we've been acquiring barrels from. Uh, we're up to sixty five or sixty six different suppliers <clears throat> from different different places, different distilleries in the United States, different countries, and and, and we then will we acquire them, we further mature them, um, and then we we from those barrels we select to make our products, uh, and that is that is really the difference. It is it is similar to the way some of the merchant bottlers were. Um, constructed are constructed in Scotland. That is correct. And it's obviously it's, it's worked for you. Uh, the, uh, this, I mean, this year alone has been a, a huge year for barrel craft spirits. You guys just, uh, won the chairman's trophy, right? At the, uh, ultimate spirits challenge, uh, the dovetail American whiskey. That was yeah. the top scoring product in the whole category, right? 97 out of a hundred points. You also uh, did got best bourbon batch twenty one got best bourbon at San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Yours truly is a judge up there. So this has been a this has been a fantastic year for you so far. In and I say that fully acknowledging that it's been a shitty year in a lot of ways, but <laughs> but certainly not in terms of, uh, of how people are receiving your whiskey. Yeah, it, it's it has been. It's been a very we, we're having a good year. Um, uh, our products are doing extremely well. We've won a lot of awards, as you mentioned, and you know, with with everything else going on in the world, it's we're incredibly lucky and fortunate and grateful that we're doing so well. And uh, you know, we have a we have a very we have a very large um, uh, population of loyal customers and. And we're, you know, we're primarily sold um, off-premise, uh, liquor stores, um, rather than bars and restaurants. Um, we do have a presence in bars and restaurants, but but the the fact that we are available online and also through off-premise locations has really been fortunate for us. Um, but but we're really we're grateful to everybody who keeps enjoying our products. You're absolutely right that you have a, a rabid fan base. This is what's fascinating me, Joe. Is how does that happen? Because you haven't been around that long and you're in Louisville and you're in the midst of all the, you know, the, the, these legendary brands with so much history and legacy of, you know, whether it's beam or wild Turkey or old forester and all these, and you have very, in a very short period of time managed to position yourself 
right alongside all of these iconic brands. How, how does that happen? Well, um, I go back to, there's a couple of things. I go back to the product. Um, nothing gets in the bottle that we don't think is perfect. So we, we spend, it, it's all about the care and curation and blending of the product products that we make. So we start from, we start from creating the best possible product that we can, but that alone isn't enough. I mean, just, there's a lot of great ideas, a lot of great products that are unsuccessful. We're successful uh, because we also let other people speak for ourselves. We don't, we don't make any, we don't make any, crazy claims. We don't ever, we never use any borrowed interest to uh, identify and sell the brand. It's always been about what the product is about. And we let, and we let other people comment and, and appreciate it in the way they want. So we've always entered in we, the, the only competitions we enter in are blind judging competitions. So there's, we, you know, the bias is removed in San Francisco and ultimately two of the top as far as I'm concerned. And so, um, so everybody out there understands what Joe's talking about. So I'll give you, I, I, for San Francisco, for instance, we, the judges are made up of a lot of distinguished people, some bartenders, brand owners that, you know, uh, and, and me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we go around, they, they bring it out and we know the category. We don't know much else. Right. And, and it's, it's all blind and, and that's the most objective way of, of measuring the quality of the spirit. Yeah, plus, the other thing I like about what they do is they do multiple rounds and so with different judges. So it, to get into the finals in that competition, you've got, you've got a lot of people who have approved and, and like your product. So, Absolutely. And, that's, and that's, sort of, that, that's the underpinnings of, of the way we've really built the brand. We, we, you know, we, we have let the bloggers and Instagram folks and everybody speak about our product. Um, and, and so it's all about you know, the term influencer is so overused, but, um, in the day when it, when it was different, um, an influencer was somebody that, that did that influence and influence a relatively small group of people. Um, and so we early on the connecting with a lot of those influencers and continue to grow our base of influencers and, and people look to those people for guidance on products, whatever it may be. And in the whiskey category, there just happens to be a lot of people who really know what they're doing. And, and they, by and large, like our product. And, and so we, we have a great relationship with them. It's, it's really been how we built the brand. You, you alluded to it earlier. That ultimately, it's what's in the bottle that matters. The juice has got to be good. And I can tell you, a couple of years ago, we had uh, Will Shragas, who works for you. Will came out to Pebble Beach Food and Wine, and I did a thing up there called the Whiskey River. And that was, we had a tasting room on the opening night of Pebble Beach. And then we did a seminar, but I can tell you from that tasting room, because I was working that room and we had about, there were, I think there were eight <laughs> brands in total in there. And every time I looked over, Will had a huge crowd of people surrounding his table. And that's the, the obvious way to gauge, like, you know, because you look around and then you go, all right, maybe this brand over here is not getting as much love and I feel bad, but people loved Barrel. Then we did the seminar the next day and that was sold out. It was a big seminar. And then what happens is you start seeing people come up to me and they say, Oh, I, I love this. And I tried that. I've tried that barrel bourbon batch this. And, and that's really how it happens. I think on the, on the, on a grassroots level is if you're really doing great juice, you're really making a great product. People talk about it. They, you know, just on, they want to go on social media and talk about it. People are always hitting me up and asking me and, and yours is, you know, I, I got a handful of whiskeys in America 
that are always kind of my go-tos when people say, really, and, I, and I'm not just blowing uh, sunshine up your ass here. Like people say, what do you like? And I'll, I'll say you, I'll say Michter's, I'll say that I got a handful of, of brands that I, that I personally go to that I want, if I'm sitting at home, that's what I drink. And I tell people that. So I've really seen that happen with you guys. Like there's been a, the word of mouth campaign about barrel, I think has been tremendous. Yeah. And, and, you know, by the way, Will still, I think Will is still exhausted from that event. <laughs> that was, yeah. That took a lot. And there was a golf tournament. It was all kinds of stuff going on there, man. Uh, no Pebble Beach this year, unfortunately. No, a lot yeah. of things. I mean, look, I, so that, that brings us to that next thing is how are you and the brand weathering what's going on now? And what's the strategy moving forward? Obviously there's a lot of uncertainty. Nobody knows what's going to happen when, but what, what's your plan to keep the brand going? Well, um, the, for this year, for the, our trajectory this year, and, and assuming that we don't have zombies or UFO invasion next year, um, we're, we're continued to have this experience, really nice growth. Um, we are, uh, we're doing a lot of, um, virtual tastings, uh, we do. Um, we've been doing weekly open houses where people can come in uh, and meet us, and and we taste a couple products. And so we're doing we're doing a lot of those that are open to the general public. Um, we also um, all of our brand development people are doing lots of tastings out um, in conjunction with re- where where we can because it really it's state by state retailers or um, or just groups. We do a lot with different groups. And, and, you know, it's really just trying to get the product into people's hands. And we're, we have, um, we're, again, we're lucky, we're fortunate because we have built a reputation so that when we're doing batch one, two, and three, people absolutely had to taste it before they would, you know, commit to it. And now we're at a different place, which is, which is there's enough trust out there that, that people will roll the dice and buy the next batch because they know it's going to be, there's something in store for them that will be good. And so that's, that's really, that, that's really working for us as things slowly open up. There are some, there are some events that are beginning to happen and that will be great when those, when, when those uh, come back to life uh, um, and we'll continue to participate in those. I it's, it's hard to know what level of in-store uh, sampling is going to ever come back. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. You know, some where we're sitting, who knows, um, and, uh, but we're continuing to do whatever we can to connect with people in any way we can. We're also making a lot of our products available online. So yeah. that, that, well, you, that you talk about the, the new batch, you got a new batch out, right? 25. Yeah. I have it here. I'm going to crack uh, it. I'm cracking it shortly with Ben Norris. Ben and I are going to, uh, we're, we're going to get into this You know, I would drink with you, but it's, it's cheating. You know, you, but you, you, there's nothing I'm going to be able to tell you about this. When I talk to Ben, I'm the expert. He doesn't know anything, you know? So he, he's very excited. Uh, Joe was kind enough to send. So this is the way we do business now. You know, it's like, we're, I'm in one location and, and the guest is in another location and we're all doing it over zoom. And so there, there's a lot of logistics that go into that. We do these sorts of things. Like you got to get a bottle here. You got to get a bottle here. We're all trying to coordinate it. How are we going to drink? Are we making a cocktail? So uh, I'm excited to be, and I know that Ben is very excited. You guys sent him a nice uh, package of whiskey and he, you know, and it's funny, this kid, you know, he's on a the kid, he's like 27 years old, but he's, uh, he's, uh, he's on a hit show, but I'll tell you what, 
He was yeah. super excited about this. He emailed I'm so me. Glad. He said, "Man, I can't believe it. They sent me like three bottles. <laughs> this is going to be amazing." And I said, "Yeah." So I scheduled the ta- we're going to do that recording with him a little bit later in the day. It's a little early for me out here in California really- to be sampling your wares, but I don't really need to, Joe, because I it the consistency is always there. It's a, it's Thank a you. uh, you're always hitting it out and you know, I how I found out about Barrel Bourbon was my good friend, our mutual friend Fred Minnick. Right. Uh, you know, years ago, I Fred runs a, Fred's a big whiskey expert. He has a Bourbon Plus magazine. I'm, I write a column for them. But uh, years ago, when I was writing a piece for the Rob Report about maybe smaller, like lesser known whiskeys, and and the first one he said, "This is the one you got to do." I don't know if you remember. I wrote that piece years ago, remember. and and uh, and he was he was absolutely right. I do see brands come along that it doesn't hit, you know, it doesn't work. But then there's, you know, there's a handful of newbies, if you want to say, that have just, and I think it must be a combination of like who you brought on. And Trip, right, is your master distiller? Yeah. And uh, sure. and, yep. it, and then- Trip and I have been blending since batch two. We blend batch but that's really, I think people need to understand is it's not like there's a- a formula, a matrix that just goes here, push these buttons and, and these, these uh, proportions and it'll be perfect. A lot of it just has to do with you and your ability to, to taste something and go, you know, and that's an art. That's, that's the thing that people don't, it's, it's not pure, you know, this, this amount, 72% of this and 4% of this, and it's going to be the best bourbon you ever, it, it has to be, somebody's got to taste it. Somebody's got to have the palate to, to understand what works and you do. And how did that, you, this was not your original calling, right? You were in marketing and you were a tech, right? Yep. I was in the internet early, um, and, um, and uh, created a company that did, um, that did web application develop online advertising, then deeper technology integration as it grew, um, building lots of social media platforms. So yes, yeah, so that was my background. But you know, it's funny, I and I, I, I get asked this question periodically. I I've made beer most of my adult life um and I, uh, just, I just on your personally, not not commercially. For myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. And and you know, I I met um I just I met Jim Cooker early like many 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 years ago. Sam Adams. And I remember Jim Cook. Him Sam saying Adams. Sam Adams. I remember him saying to me, here's this is how we make it. Here's the recipe basically and he goes You'll never be able to make it. You'll never be able to replicate it. And I'm like, hmm, let me let me try that. And he was right. I was crazy meticulous about making beer, and it's really hard to make the same thing over and over again. It's it's really difficult, which which is part of what informed what we do. Um, but along the way, also, I I didn't realize uh, until um, really a couple of years before I started doing this that I did have a palate that could differentiate and. I go, I, I go back to this story where I was in a restaurant having dinner with a friend and we had a bottle of wine and then we ordered a second bottle of wine, the same wine. And they opened it up and it poured in the glass. And I was just like, it was corked. And, and I'm looking at him and he's drinking it. And I'm like, does that taste different to you? And he said, he said, no, what's the difference? And, and I, in that, in that moment, I realized, well, maybe I can taste some things that other people can't taste. That was a pretty gross you know, example of it, but, but so it just, it just one thing led to the other. And, um, and I realized that I had this ability. And so trip, I met trip early on. We started blending with batch two recently. We hired 
Um, Nick Christensen uh, from Butchertown Grocery. She was a beverage director there. And she's she's been incredible addition to the team. And she's working alongside of us blending. And and Will also participates in the blending. So we, we ha- it, it's a it's collaborative, but I get to have the final say. And um, well, there's a word. There's a word we get craft, craft distilling, craft spirits, craft. It is a craft. There's a reason why I can tell you this. When brands get master distillers, blenders, they tend to stick around. Okay. So when you have somebody that works, you know, you look at Wild Turkey and Jimmy Russell and Eddie Russell and all these guys, because they recognize that there's only, there aren't that many people that have that, that have that palate, that that are able to identify flavors and be able to put them all together and make them work in a way that the mass, that the general public also responds to. And you're one of those people. So that's, uh, thank you. And I'm lucky. I, I'm lucky. I know you. I'm on the mailing list. I like, <laughs> I, I'm glad to be on the mailing list of barrel. Burn. You know, it's, it's funny. It's funny because we, the, we, we all have different things that we like and don't like, and there are different things that we have a lower tolerance of. And one of the things that's really worked between Trip and me is that, is that there are a couple of faults that, that are so irritating to him and a couple of different faults that are equally irritating to me that it's very easy to rule out stuff that we don't want to do. So, so, you know, figuring out how to say no is really important. And, and for us, it's, it's not a, it's not, it's, we love doing it and, and everything is, it's a yes or no almost immediately. There's not a whole lot of gray area in what we do. We, we like it, we don't like it, move on. And we could do a hundred different variations of a blend at some point for anything. When do you know, Joe, when, like, is there, and I guess it would be the same thing as somebody composing a song or a painting or writing it. When, when do you know, it's never done. I I would say most artists would say this, it's never done. You just stop, right? This is the, okay. But for you, when's that moment when you say, okay, we got it. Is it just, that's, that's so, it's such a great question because it's so important to know when you stop. And, and so that's just, let me, a quick digression. The way our process works is we'll do these blends in the lab. So we do a theoretical. So we have, you know, we're, we're playing around with this whiskey, this particular bourbon, this, this age, this mash bill. And we play around with it and we might do hundreds of different combinations. We try to group it down to we call five points where we have five different primary components, which are made up of different barrels we got to. And then once, once we get to a blend that we like, and, and that, that is a combination of, of elimination. And then we get to the point where this is, this has all the things we want. We stop blending. So then we have to take it out into the, into our big tanks of these, we have some very large um, blending tanks and we, we, we step up to it. We, we dump a third of the barrels that we want, half of the barrels we want until we get to the point where we, we, and we inch our way up to it. In fact, and here's where I'm going with this. When you're going to taste tonight, batch 25, that is the first bourbon that we blended with any weeded bourbon in it at all. So one of the components is a weeded bourbon. It's the first time we use any, and it's a relatively small percentage of it. Just so everybody knows when you're listening out there, sorry, Joe, I don't mean to cut you up, but when he says a weeded bourbon, obviously any, any bourbon, the mash bill has got to be at least 51% corn. Okay. To be bourbon. So what Joe's saying is the, that other portion of the mash bill can often be made up of, of all different kinds of starches. Uh, and, and in this case, if wheat is a component in there, they, they, all, they call that a weeded bourbon. And, and Joe, say what, it, what a weeded bourbon means uh, flavor profile-wise. 
It's generally softer. Where 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 rye is almost always in ninety five percent of the bourbons the, the second grain. Um, rye is is that in your face spicy, spicy. It's it's you know drink any uh, MGP ninety five percent rye and you will know what rye tastes like. That that's what it tastes like. And so having the wheat softens it up a lot and it introduces different really different notes. And when you start combining with other mash bills. We've teased out some very fruity um, components, which which Trip and I both have sweet tooths. Although we don't eat a lot of sweet things, we like we like that kind of tropical notes and fruit flavors. You know, it's it's um, if I could put an umbrella on it and have a and have a uh, a tiki drink, it'd be perfect. And so it's so we 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 really blended this thing to just the right the right point. And when we were blending this, and this was. Uh, Round numbers, three thousand gallons total in this batch. So it's a real, you know, it's a mid-sized one. The the variance we were we were playing in in that three thousand gallons with less than five gallons differential of of one of the components to get it just right. And we have these big these big tanks that are this proprietary construction and and the we have these gigantic propellers inside there um, that are agitators that move really slowly and. And they're engineered to turn over the entire contents in 18 minutes. So it's, it's, it's like, if you look inside, it's like a James Bond villain killing machine. It's really okay. scary looking in there. And so it's, but it, but so we're able to like ongoing test it. And, and we, and we, we, test, we were inching our way up to it. And when we got there in one moment, we just stopped. It was like, no more. That's it. That that's the secret. Nailed it. That's the secret. Blend so this, so this one, the batch twenty five, which I'm going to be drinking with Ben in a little bit, you're saying this is the first one you've that where a weeded bourbon has been has been a component of it. Yes. So are you saying that this for for fans of barrel bourbon is this going to be one that's unlike any they've had before? Uh, it is. It is different, but it's not. It, but it's not. It, what it isn't a weeded bourbon, and it's on its own. So if you were to take any of our products and then have a we did bourbon next to it. You would be able to distinguish it. If you, if you drink, you know, if you tried that, you would see the difference. This is this is using the wheat as a component in a way that differentiates it slightly from our other batches. But you'll recognize some of the characteristics that we like. And it's not it's not. It, and if I didn't tell you that it was weeded, it would be it would be really hard for to, for a lot of people to to pull that. You might you would probably get it, but it would be, it's hard for a lot of people to be able to like pull that out because it is very subtle. So, so it is, it is different, but it's not a radical departure, but you know, it is different. And it's available now. The batch 25 is available now. Yes. So where do people uh, we, go if they want to get it? It is, if it isn't available now, it will be in the next couple of weeks. Um, um, well, we have a locator on our website, um, uh, barrelbourbon.com or barrelcraftspirits.com. Uh, there's a store locator. Um, and it, it takes, it, it may not be there it may not show for a month of where the shipments are because there's a lag time in the data, but, but it'll get in there eventually, but it's, it's going to be in all the usual suspects, all the stores that normally carry our products. You know, retail on that. Same $90. $90. Okay. Yeah. MSRP. And I got to tell you folks, it's worth it. You know, you hear that and you go, Oh, 90 might be a little high. I mean, you got, there are, there are less expensive whiskeys, but in my opinion, $90 for, for a barrel, for a bottle of barrel, bourbon is a steal. I would say that it's, uh, it's one of my favorites. I mean that I am excited 
to uh, drink some with Ben Norris. That's coming up. And Joe, someday I am excited to get to, to Louisville and, and drink with you, my friend. I'm hoping that's going to be sooner rather than later. I hope so. You're welcome anytime. I hope so. But uh, it was great having you on. Appreciate all the, the insight into what you do, how you do it. And uh, later on, we're going to hear how we react to what you do because Ben and I are going <laughs> to, we're going to taste through all this stuff, man. And I'm pulling out, I'm going to pull out some of the older barrel, some of the older uh, bottles of barrel that I have to drink as well. So it should be fun. Looking forward to that. But, but Joe Beatrice, thank you for joining us on this episode. And we hope to have you back soon, man. Thank you. Anytime. Folks, I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy, I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Because let's face it, no guy is ever ready to go bald. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. Keeps treatments typically take between four to six months to see results, so it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. How? Go to keeps.com slash drinking that's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair, and your hair will take care of you. Joining me now on the show, I'm very excited about this. It's it's not often. We get actors on here. We get musicians. We get actors. We get, we get uh, people across the pop cultural spectrum. But it's rare that I get an actor on the show that not only is on a, a hit show, but also went to the same college I went to, Temple University in Philadelphia, where all the greats come from. Let's see. There's Bob Saget. There's me. Hall and Oates went there. Some other guy used to be America's dad. We won't, his name won't be spoken. He went to Temple as well. And the gentleman joining me right now who is uh, one of the stars of the hit Netflix series, Never Have I Ever. I got to meet him or Zoom meet him a few weeks back. We did a thing on on uh, live stream, and it was a lot of fun. So I'm really glad that he's agreed to come on this show. Ben Norris, how are you, man? I'm really good. How you doing, Dan? It's good to see you, brother. I forgot I should have also mentioned in that intro that you are a budding whiskey enthusiast. That's right. Ever since a few weeks ago when... The the famous, the great Dan Dunn gave me an incredible tasting of some Japanese whiskeys, and um, I'm reaching for the stars. Well, now we are, we're getting into some, some really cool stuff here, not to poo-poo those Japanese whiskeys, but we're drinking one of the most award-winning whiskeys in America right now, uh, Barrel Bourbon. I had, I had uh, Joe on, Joe Beatrice, the, the, who founded the brand on the show a little bit earlier, and as he and I talked about it, it has been a tremendous year for them. They've won basically every major award we could. And so you and I, Ben, this is special. You and I are going to be drinking the Batch 25. This is their brand new batch. I, it's not even available to the public yet. Okay. You and I are going to be drinking that. We're going to be checking it out. But first, what's your knowledge experience with bourbon? I would say 
uh, it's actually more on the experience and less on the knowledge side of that question. But um, I never was a huge drinker and and liquor never really sat well with me until I started drinking specifically bourbon and that would be bullet bourbon. And uh, my my brother-in-law is actually who got me into that. And that's kind of when I finally started flourishing when it came to um, not the knowledge, like I said, but the experience. It was of, your of, it was your drinking. aha moment. You went, oh, I, li- I like this. Definitely my aha moment. I I, I definitely I, I wouldn't say I have a sweet tooth when it comes to food, but with drinks, I have a sweet tooth. And I, I think I really liked um, whiskey in general because there was a sweetness to it. Um, I hated vodka because to me it it just it tasted like rubbing alcohol, um, and I felt I felt like whiskey, specifically bourbon, was the first thing that I enjoyed the flavor of. You mentioned the sweetness. I you know what I think we should do here while we're talking, and I and I want to get into everything with you. I want to get into the career, and obviously you you you've had the great fortune of getting on a hit TV show. Yeah. We want to talk about that, but let's. Um, I, so I've got an old fashioned right here. I made myself an old fashioned. Cheers to you! Thanks Cheers. for joining. What you got there? Uh, I just ha- I have this neat batch twenty five right now. Okay, so let me do that. Let me let me pour myself some of this batch twenty five. Just so you know, out there, it's going to be available as Joe mentioned earlier on the show. It's ninety dollars a bottle. Okay, that's what they charge across the board barrel all the time. That's what they charge ninety bucks, and it is. I know that sounds crazy to say that it's a steal at ninety dollars, but you know what? It fucking is. So there you go. All right. So now, just so you you know, Ben, this batch twenty five, brand new. This is a this is a blend of whiskeys that they have procured from Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana. It's a selection of 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 barrels of, of various ages. There's a, a five and a half year old, a nine year old, thirteen year old, and a fifteen year old whiskey in the mix here. All were aged in American white oak barrels. So Ben, you know that's a rule, right? It, in order to be called bourbon. It's got to be aged in new American white oak barrels that have been charred. It can't be called bourbon otherwise. Okay, did not know that. One of the rules. Did not know that. Um, This one again. Whiskeys are all over the country, but they bottled this in Kentucky. It's a hundred and thirteen point four proof. So this is cash strength. This is not a whiskey for the faint of heart. Okay, so let's do this, Ben. Let's first thing we do is nose this thing. Okay, so what you want to do is you want to take that glass. And you want to, you don't want to ram your nose into it. You kind of want to swirl it around, agitate it a little bit, and then you're going to breathe it in with your nose and your mouth slightly open. You're going to just go and breathe it in like that. Now, what are you, uh, what are you getting on the nose? Just whatever comes to mind. I think I'm getting some nuts. I think I'm getting a little, a little nutty. You are getting nutty, man. I can see that already. Slow down. Nutty, slow down over there. You know, uh, I'll slow down. You're getting some nuts. Okay. Yeah. I'm getting a little pineapple, a little, uh, Honeydew melon, yeah, so yeah, some melon. I first off love honeydew melon. Big fan of honeydew melon. Can a, a little espresso beans, some maple syrup in there. Yeah, the that's syrup, that sweetness. I say, yeah, I would say syrup. I was actually I was actually going to say vanilla, but then when you said syrup, I think I, I connected with that a little better. Okay, so now what we're going to do is we're going to take a taste, and what I like to do when I taste is take a little sip to prime my palate, just a tiny bit. Get that in there. Chew it up like that, and then we take a bigger sip, and that's where we're going to really get what's going on here flavor-wise. So right off the bat, I'm getting some wow. fig, some sour orange there. It's very zesty. There's a lot, Acidic fruit is coming through right away for me. 
What are you getting? It's definitely zesty. I'm getting a lot. I'm getting like tingly. Is that is that kosher? Is that absolutely, is that- man? I mean, l- listen. You know, the alcohol content in this is high, so you yeah. are gonna that is gonna hit you, okay? But what they've done a really great job of here is the alcohol is not overwhelming. It the alcohol flavor is not yet. Yeah. yeah, it's smooth. It's it's smooth. I get. You mentioned nuts. Like I get a little macadamia nut there, mm, and yeah, there's that macadamia. sort of leather quality to it. Um, hmm. I could, I could, I could have a candle of this smell. I mean, this is a, this is really like a sweet, sweet, pleasant smell. It is, yeah. And now it's it's a, but it's a robust whiskey. So here's what I'm going to do. So I got my little dropper here, right? So I'm going to put a couple of, just a few drops of of some spring water in there. Okay. Okay. And then what that does, doing that, adding that water, is it tends to make things a little bit more focused. You the flavors because it's it's mitigating the alcohol effect a little bit, and then the other flavors are coming out. So now when I nose it with the water, I'm getting some honey, some clove, some banana in there. Yeah, it's definitely a, definitely like a slightly different smell, just a slightly different smell. And adding the water actually changes the texture on the palate a little bit. The mouthfeel changes a little bit, gets a little bit mm, thicker. Yeah, and then. Maybe the finish is a little bit more delicate, but this is just a, this is a fantastic whiskey. And and as Joe talked about earlier on the show, another rule for bourbon, Ben, is that 51% of the mash, which is the starch, that's the, that's what they're going to, they're going to use that to ferment to then distill and make alcohol. 51% of the mash has to be corn to be able to be, be called bourbon. Generally, the rest of the mash, a lot of times it'll be primarily made up of rye, some barley. This one's got a, a decent amount of wheat, wheat in the in, in the remaining part of the mash. So it's called a weeded bourbon. And this is the first one that they've done at Barrel, the first kind of weeded bourbon they've done. And I, it just adds a lightness to it, I think, that's really, really delicious. Just very drinkable. Not not that other whiskeys aren't so drinkable, but for, for something to be this high alcohol content, but still just goes down really smooth. It's delicious. Yeah. Now I want to switch gears real quick and then we'll come back to the whiskey. So the show, I watched it. I watched that whole goddamn show. You really did. I did, man. I, I, I enjoyed the show. I'm, I'm going to, I will say, I think I said this last time we talked, I'm not necessarily the target audience for that of show, mm-hmm. but it was really, I mean, the, I thought the whole cast was great. You were fantastic in it. Thank you. Talk Thank about you. what that meant to you, because that that's your proverbial big break, right? Correct. It, it meant the world to me. I, when I when I uh, when my agent sent me the audition and I looked at the sides, um, which was the the lines for the character, I was like, I know how to play Trent Harrison. Like I know how to do this, and it really was a feeling that like came over me, and I was like, this is this is yours for the taking. This is yours to lose. And so um, I went in there, prepared it a, a certain way, very deadpan, very too cool for school, not impressed. And I could over, I could, I could hear the other kids going in the room, um, and I could hear them playing it up ten notches above what I prepared. And I, I started getting in my head and thinking, like, oh man, I, I think I prepared this wrong. And then I was like, no, 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 you stick to your guns. You're going to go in there and do what you prepared. And, and I did. And immediately the the casting director laughed so hard that we had to redo it the first take. And I was like, I, I was like, this is it. Like I, I got this. I got it. And then I, you know, I got the call the next day 
um, that it was looking like it was happening. And then two weeks later, I found out I, I officially got it. So they, it was like a hold on you for that, right? Yeah, they, they, it's called being pinned. I got pinned and I've been pinned many times. So I know that you got to take that with a grain of salt and you got to try not to think about it because it, it might not happen. Um, and it did. And when I got the actual call from my manager, man, I was, I was over the moon. I was just excited to work on something that I knew was probably going to be good because it was Mindy Kaling. And at, most of what she touches is gold. All of what she touches is gold. And not only that, but the character. I was like, Trent is my dude. I want to play Trent. You know, he's just, a, he's an idiot. When is this? What's the, how many, how many years ago is this? It's about two years ago, maybe? Uh, that I got the audition. It was actually, when you got um, the part. no, I want, I want to say, I think I found out I booked it in June of last year. So just over a year. J- just over a year. Netflix turns their stuff around pretty quickly. Um, I, I actually, yeah, I actually think they were, I think they were done with the show earlier this year. Um, but obviously they have their algorithms and, and their, their process in, in which they want to um, release things. And so the release date ultimately became the end of April. How, how old were you when you got that part? Uh, I was 28 when I got it. Uh, so I'm playing a lot younger than what I actually am. Um, most of, most of the cast members who were in high school, who, who played high schoolers with me, most of them were way younger than me. There were a few people who were my age. Um, but we all got along really, really well. I mean, everyone was so sweet and so nice. There were no egos on set. This was kind of everyone's first big thing. Um, as far as the, the high school cast members went, um, it was the coolest, it was the coolest experience. I've never been a part of anything like it before. And you got another season, right? We got another season. Um, really excited about that. Uh, we're still waiting to hear what's going to happen. Um, we're, st- we're still waiting to hear what's going to happen. I-, I know that, I know that Universal is is gearing up to shoot certain things. I, I don't know what it's going to look like for Never Have I Ever, but um, I think every studio, every project is kind of working as its own ecosystem with its own guidelines. And I think once they have those under control, then they start um, doing pre-production. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I was thinking about this. How many shows do you think are going to actually address COVID? Do you think there? So, in, in other words, I could totally see "Never Have I Ever" season two existing in a either either a COVID world or a post-COVID world, and and part of that I think could be necessity because mm-hmm. maybe you need to shoot with masks on, maybe you need to yep. do all these things, and you could work that into. And I'm 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 sure that shows are already working on doing that. Yeah, I I think so too. I think it's going to be really interesting what shows do that and what shows don't. Now with Never have I ever specifically, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen yet in season two. Um, I could see it both ways. Um, one, I know that they, the whole point of making this show um, was to properly reflect the, you know, the high school experience in today's world. Uh, originally, when Mindy Kaling was approached for the project, they said, Netflix said, we want to do a project about your high school experience. And she was like, I don't want to do a show about a girl in the eighties. I want to do a show about a girl now. And so if they want to properly reflect that, um, you know, maybe, maybe they will do it. I I think on the flip side of it, maybe they won't do it yet. 
because the season ended um, kind of halfway through a school year. So maybe they want to finish that school year out. I don't know. Um, but logistically, it's going to be hard to have, you know, we used to have 50 extras on set every day to be in the high school. And like, I just, I don't think you could do that right now. It's it's crazy what's happening. I watched a, uh, something was on the TV about some of the soap operas are back and they were mm-hmm. showing what they're doing. You know, I have like uh, CGI in there and then uh, Denise Richards is apparently on a soap opera. So there's a there was a scene where she's kissing her guy on the soap opera and they CGI him in and her in. And then when they go in for the kiss, she actually kisses her real husband. So they do a close up. The real husband grew a beard, just like the other character. And the close-up is her making out with her husband, her actual husband, supposed to be the character. So it's going to be, you know, human beings are very uh, ingenious, and I think they're going to yeah. they're going to find ways around this. But then there is also the flip side of it is that maybe people don't aren't going to want to watch entertainment that reminds them of COVID that's and they a, want that's complete a really good point. escapism. So maybe you don't deal with it that way. That's a really good point. I mean, the, so the other show that I'm involved with um, that I also hope will start shooting soon is the show called Superstore on NBC. And what's interesting about that show is, you know, that takes place at like a Walmart type store. And so, you know, if you're shooting at a Walmart. <laughs> so where's the, where's the episode where the guy comes screaming, I'm not wearing this fucking mask. That, that's what my girlfriend and I keep joking about that. We're like every episode, there has to be some idiot who won't wear a, who won't <laughs> won't wear wear a mask. <laughs> this week on Superstore, another fight, <laughs> another, another guy screaming about fascism. Yeah. I, I, I just, I just don't know. I, I know that. I know one great thing about Superstore is that, uh, you know, I only I, I have only been in one episode so far. But what was really cool about uh, about the experience is that every background performer on that episode, they had been working on the show for five years. So that was kind of when they're in season, like that's kind of their job. The series regulars, the leads, they all know the background performers. So that that might work in their favor if if already these this is the only set that 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 these background actors are going towards. But um but I think, you know, I, I, I studied film at Temple University, not, not theater. And one of the coolest parts about learning how to make films to me is that, you know, making film, making TV is, is problem solving. All you're doing is problem solving. And that's why it's just, it's, it's, it sucks what's going on right now. But if, if anyone's going to figure it out, it's going to be like the film and, and TV world because they have to problem solve all the time. They have to make locations look different. They have to make uh, parties look like there's more people than there actually are. I mean, this is, this is what they specialize in. So the fantasy concern is one thing, but the, but the aesthetic and the looks of it is, is I'm surprised going to be exciting to see. Trump is very anti Hollywood, but I'm surprised he hasn't brought in Hollywood because that's what he needs. Cause Hollywood's specialty is making things that aren't real seem real. And that's yeah, just kind like, of like the, Trump's whole like policy is, yeah, like he wants to be like, hey, this isn't really here anymore. Let me bring in Hollywood to make it seem like COVID's not around. But let's not get political. Um, <clears throat> let's We're going to jump back into bourbon now. You know, one of the interesting things there's with these brands. Now, Barrel Bourbon is, is a, a relatively new brand, but then there's all the old, you know, you're familiar with like Maker's Mark and Wild mm-hmm. Turkey and all these. And bourbon's always fascinated me because it's got such this, you know, it's America's native spirit and it's all these. But- it it is. I would I would recommend. I was reading this one. This is my friend Fred Minnick's book here, uh, Bourbon Curious, 
And I would recommend that to you if you want to get into really learning it. But it's, you know, it's a very problematic history, like so much of everything in America. It's very America, problematic. That's right. yeah. I mean, whiskey was, you know, early, the, the, a lot of the early whiskey distillery owners were slave owners. Uh-huh. Another big thing, you know, whiskey was used like kind of the first whiskey salesman, if you will. They were trading whiskey with with the Indians, the Native Americans. They called them Indians then. And they were using it to exploit them. Like there would be times because fur, they would trade for fur. So they would trade whiskey. And it, to the point where they would get the Native Americans drunk to take advantage of them and steal their stuff. And so, you know, there's a lot of... As much as I love it, and look, Thomas Jefferson was one of the first whiskey owners, and we know Jefferson's problematic history. I only bring that up because I, I'm I just think there's it's fascinating to really if you dive in and you, you find some brands that you like and you start doing some research. That said, it's it's also murky. To this day, I don't know that anybody can agree on where the, the name bourbon comes from. That the bourbons were the a, a, a French ruling the rulers of France were the bourbon family uh there's bourbon county in kentucky so one theory is that it comes from the the barrels would be stamped with bourbon county and that's where it came from the other is it was new orleans because that's where a lot of the french went and bourbon street and whiskey was very popular down there but you can't really get any agreement on where the actual name bourbon comes from now let me ask you a question would you say like, are there whiskey purists where they don't want to taste new bur- new whiskey or is it not is it not like that? Is- I mean, I'm sure there are people that have their favorites. People have their brands that they're very loyal to. Right. Uh, and maybe they're stubborn and they don't want to try anything else. I would say if you're, if you're asking if there's pushback when new products come out, especially maybe among the establishment, I would say there is. But there are brands that have bro- uh, numerous brands that have broken through. Barrel is one of them, certainly. And you've got uh, brands like... Um, trying to think of a very recent one um rabbit hole i just had uh i just did a thing with the guys from rabbit hole kind of a new whiskey and yet it's been embraced because they're doing it the right way i mean i think ultimately the proof is in the pudding or in this case in the bottle right if the juice if the juice is good and it's really good and they're doing it the right way that's going to shine through so i do i do really like i like the labels and i think Today, more than ever, we're just we're a very visual society. And especially especially when it comes to like beer and stuff, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of these new craft um, breweries who are coming out with these cans that have just like really, really cool graphics on them. And I and I do feel like every every market is saturated right now. And I feel like I feel like you really do have to have a nice, clean or cool or different label to like catch an eye these days, you know, unless it's word of mouth. They sent us some other stuff here. I don't know if you want to try that. They got this private release series that they do. I do. I do want to try one of these. It's it's called the private release whiskey series. And each batch features a unique blend based around their 18 year old stocks of Kentucky whiskey that they then finish in a secondary barrel or cask. So as I said, Ben, you know, initially it's got to be new white char- American oak charred barrels. That's that's where it's got to age first to be called bourbon. But you can finish it, take it out of there, let it spend a little bit of time. So do you have the Jamaican rum one in front of you? I do. Yeah. yeah. That one, I haven't tried it yet, but it, it looks interesting to me. And I'm, I'm thinking I want to jump on this thing. So Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. 
This is Jamaican rum, obviously. Let's just try this and see right away if you can get that influence of the Jamaican rum. If I can get it open. Can you get yours open? Yeah, I got mine open. Uh, you, that's because you're young. And I'm it's like it's it um it's just like a little taper on the around the top. All right. Okay. There we go. Got it. Okay. Have you poured yourself some? I did. I feel really exclusive with these with these little private release releases. You stick with me, man. We'll get you that stuff all the time. I told Joe, I, I said to Joe, you had written me when he got it, how excited you were about this. And he was, he was really pleased. He said, he hopes that the whiskey lives up to the billing. And I think, I think it does. <laughs> no, it definitely does. All right. So we're going to try this one. So right away, right away, the nose I get is different. You get that molasses, you're getting that sugar cane, you're getting that sweetness. It's 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 a much more it's like it's like a m- much more mild smell, right? Yeah, it's like, well the alcohol level. I do, again, I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the uh, the proof is on this. Um, I can tell you what oh, it's called. My, mine says proof one sixteen point two. Does oh, that make sense? Jesus, yeah. Well, then that's even that's even higher than the than the batch twenty five. So. Oh yeah, because the other one was one thirteen. By the way, just so you know how exclusive this stuff is. They're only releasing about 150 to 180 bottles total of each wow. one of these series. So, so this Jamaican rum finish, less than 200 bottles of this stuff's going to be available. And it, 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 this stuff retails for $109. So I'm in the club. Yep. Yeah, the rum. I'm, I mean, that's it. I mean, the, the simplest way to describe it is it does, the rum quality is coming through there. Especially on the finish, like I could feel it through my, I could smell it through my nose, like the rum. Do you like to do your uh, whiskey and cocktails or no? You're more of a neat. Uh, traditionally, I'll, I'll drink my whiskey either neat or on the rocks. Yeah. I, yeah. And I don't really do many, um, I don't really do many whiskey cocktails, but I do like an old fashioned though. That's what, that's what I got right here. I do like an old fashioned. And I liked the Japanese highball when we had that. Oh yeah, um, that's right. When we did the we did the live yeah, stream, we had some. I never highballs. really drank those. Are you going? Uh, do you find yourself going crazy yet? Are you? Uh, um, five, I think that with there five are months days. of this, right? I think I think there are days when I'm when I'm going crazy. I think, and I, I think I'm there. There are moments when I go crazy for different reasons. One, I'll watch a video of you know like a, some huge party somewhere, and I'll be like, what the, f-? you know. And, or some days I'll just think like, ah, I wish I can have that party with my friends, you know, <laughs> like sometimes I'll just be jealous of the people who no, are I get it. wrong, you know? Yeah, no, I have, uh, there's some people I know I follow on social media that I know and a few in particular where they, they are like, fuck social distancing. It's every day post they're on a boat, they're at a party, they're here and it's a crazy sort of roller coaster of emotions I go on. There's part of me goes, well, I, it's horrible, but I'll think, well, I hope you get fucking COVID and then you'll, because you're fucking all of us. Right. I know, but I don't really I want that. I don't want it. And then there's you a can't part of help me, but think for a second. Yeah. Though. But then there's the part of me goes, what if they, what if she doesn't get it? What if this person doesn't get it? What if they, she just partied her way right through this and we all had it wrong. And I, I by the way, I am not in any means by any means suggesting that we should be going out and doing all that because I'm listening to the experts, but I get what you're saying about. It's- yeah, I think I think the way I put it to my girlfriend is for me, it's a really confusing time because I I always like to see the good in people. I'm a people person. I, I do love people. 
And, um, and I just see, and I know, and I see a lot of really, really great people making bad choices. And I, I, I never want to just completely, I I never want to completely like disavow or like get rid of someone because they make one bad choice, but it's so weird because this is on a global scale right now. It's like, we need to, we need to be safe in order to help each other. It's hard not to, it's hard not to get angry. And and, and, I, yeah. and sometimes that anger, you don't even know where to direct it. But we, you and I were talking right before we came on the air about this sort of groundhog day feel where mm-hmm. I especially feel it at the beginning of the week because I, I don't know much, but I'm pretty sure that I know that at the end of this week, we're not going to be out of this yeah. or the end of next week or the one after that or the one at, and when you're faced with that, the thought that there's this thing that is stifling life really. And that there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it other than, other than, you know, the things you're doing to, to help try to squash the virus. But even that, that's where the anger comes from is, I can do everything the way I'm supposed to do it. But if 500 other people down the street aren't doing it the right way, then it doesn't matter at all whether what exactly. I'm doing because if I walk out the door, I'm just as likely to get it. Exactly. And then it's up to you to continue doing what you're doing and not say, well, fuck it. I'll just be the 501st person who's going to act that way. And it's, and it's, 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 it's hard, man. It's, it's, it's just, it's just really, really tough. And, and when it comes to being safe and being um, mindful, there's a spectrum. And there are some people who are like so perfectly safe. And there are some people who aren't as safe who could add to the detriment of all of this. But at the same time, they're being kind of safe. So that, that's why I said it's just kind of a confusing time because it's like, I think I'm being really, really safe like really, really, really safe. But there are some people who are being You've like- never really, left, really, you're really, not leaving really the safe. house at all, is what you're saying, basically. Um, We'll go, my girlfriend and I will go to the park and we'll hang out in the park, you know, not away from everyone. Um, We actually don't go grocery shopping. We use Instacart. Um, That's not an ad. Um, But we use, we will use Instacart. Um, We don't really, yeah, we don't really go to stores. We're, we're like extremely safe. I'm, I'm still not comfortable flying. I'm not flying anywhere. No, um, you know, I, I had to miss my best friend, my brother's wedding that I that I um, officiated. And I got to officiate from via Zoom, which was amazing. But yeah, it was hard to not it was hard to not be there. And I, I just I, I would have I, I just didn't want to get on a plane, go and then get his 92 year old grandmother sick. I just couldn't I, I wouldn't be able to live. Myself, and I've got you know? a lot of friends that have have flown. I'm with you. Man. Me too. I'm, I'm Me too. I, I think that I would. I worried that I'd have a panic attack when I was on the plane. Mm-hmm. I'd start thinking about the fact that there's these germs have to be circulating in the plane. Right. Uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to be honest. This hasn't been for me. It hasn't been as devastating certainly as it has been for, you know, a lot of people that I know I've, I've been able to manage, you know, I'm okay with being alone. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay. But that said, 
yeah, as the fall approaches and uh, you and I have talked before about being big sports fans. Now, obviously hockey's back on. We like hockey, baseball, but you know, as the fall approaches and I, I don't care what anybody says. They're not playing football this season. They like, can't. Yeah, it's not gonna. I mean, they're they gonna try, it. but it's not gonna happen. And and that's such a big part of my life. Like I'm a huge NFL fan, I'm a huge Eagles fan, and uh, I'm thinking about that when the fall comes around. And and again, I I fully understand that me not having football or us not having football pales in comparison to the hundred and by that point, 180, 185,000 people that are going to be dead because of this thing. Of course. I, I understand that. But what I, but also just the rhythms of life. And for me, football has been such a big part of that rhythm of my life. And I'm looking and going, wow, like it's really not going to happen. I don't, you know, there's not going to be, wake up Sunday morning and put on my jersey and go down to the, the bar where we watch the Eagles games and everybody does the chant and goes crazy yeah. and it's a fun day. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I mean, we're not going to get to do that. And you, you often, you, you start wondering, because this isn't crazy to think this. It might not be football next year. Yeah, it's I know. Nuts. Ah, I know. When I Where's when, the whiskey? I... Give me the wait. Wait, hold on. Let's quick, quickly, quickly, Ben, let's. Let's yeah. bring it. Let's let's settle ourselves down here. Have some whiskey. Here we. Oh, there we go. Uh, yeah. mm. It's delicious. Barrel bourbon calms you down during a pandemic. It's wild, man. I I, I think all of these football season approaching, and it's probably not going to happen. And then the holiday season, it's just like we can never fully get used to this. I think that there's just constant reminders that there's this giant thing that's so much bigger than us, and it, and it. And it just proves how delicate the fabric of our society is. Like, you know, it's just like we 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 take for granted how how well oiled this machine is, and all of a sudden it just takes this like invisible virus to just completely upend everything that we know and everything that everyone on this planet has known, because no one on Earth right now has ever been through anything like this. Well, I, you know, it's, I, I don't want to say I feel bad for you and your generation. I'm, I'm older than you. I'm 20 years older than you. And when I was you, when I was in my twenties and certainly, you know, from college to around your age, things were fucked up. Of course they were. There was, I mean, but we didn't have any internet. So first of all, we didn't know how fucked up things were. You know, you only knew your own little pot world, you know, so I probably, when you were in college is when the economy collapsed, right? For, you yeah, know? my first year. My yeah, first so then year. you had that, and then you get out. There's, I mean, you're 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 in the entertainment business. That's a little bit of a different story, but you know, a lot of your peers got out of school, and there are no fucking jobs, and the economy's in the shitter. And now this, yeah. And I I gotta wonder, man. You're what are you now? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Yeah. Are you? Do you ever sit back and think to yourself, the fuck is good? What do we do here? <laughs> like mo no. most of your adult life. The world, I mean, you've you've had four years of Donald Trump. Again, not to get political, but I'm just saying no, no, it's okay. I had it's nothing. Okay. I had nothing like that when I was when I was young. I mean, I, Reagan was in, I guess, and no, but we didn't get you know, it didn't really impact me in any way. Right. Do you ever do you ever feel sorry for yourself? Do you ever go, shit, man? You know, no, I'm I I I absolutely do. And especially because before we've had these last four years, we had this president who got me back into politics. I was like really into politics when I was younger because of my father. And I feel like I kind of fell out of it 
um, because I was like in later high school years and I was really only thinking about like girls and playing soccer. And then all of a sudden 2008 rolled around and I was like, I got to volunteer for this guy. I love this guy. And, and all of a sudden he, he got an office and I really, I really felt as though things were changing. And so, yeah, not only is it just because this asshole is in, not to get political, but this asshole is in office, but it's because of where we were before that. And it's just like, I can't, I I say, I can't believe it, but then I, but then again, I can, I mean, he brings all these schmucks out from the woodwork. Well, and by the way, you you never have to apologize for calling Donald Trump an asshole on the show because he is a fucking asshole. But I would, I would ask you this and not that you can speak for your entire generation, but I think there's certainly a level of concern from people of my generation that your generation isn't going to get out there and do what has to happen. And I, I'm not saying that that's, do you feel like, you know, your people that are in their mid to late twenties, early thirties are ready to really step up and get out there and vote and do what has to be done to get Donald Trump out of office? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm going to say yes, when it comes to the people that I, that are in my circle. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I am in the entertainment industry and I live in California. So I can speak for that. I don't know if I could speak for the rest of my generation, but I do know that all of my best friends out here in LA are extremely vocal, extremely active and are constantly trying to, you know, um, better themselves and just kind of grow their knowledge and also like help other people understand the, the tides, the times that we're in right now. Um, but I will say, even though I talk a lot of shit on the generation below me, and even though they could, what be is that? Are you bit, so wait? Are you a, you're a millennial? I'm a millennial. So what's below you? What do we call? I that? think Gen is it Gen Z? No, Gen X. Hey, dude, Gen Z. I'm Gen X. Come on, man. Oh yeah, so Gen Z, Gen Z, <laughs> Gen Z. Gen so Z. Gen Z is below me. I have cousins who are in Gen Z. I think sometimes they could be a bit a bit like radical with like the PC kind of stuff. Aside you mean the, from can- that, the cancel culture stuff? That, yeah, exactly, yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too on board with all of that stuff. Yeah, but I do think that they're also just young and hot headed, and they'll kind of grow out of that. And I think for the most part, I mean, I mean, look at how inclusive things things seem to be a bit more inclusive now. You know, I think the younger generations, regardless of their of their political stance, you know, I I feel like in my lifetime, like gay rights have honestly just completely flourished in my lifetime. You know, even the, there's a lot of, even the Republican side who are just like, of course, whatever, like we almost don't don't care about that stuff anymore, you know? And I think, I think a lot of that has to do with the youth um, kind of accepting where things have gone. I honestly, man, I I think you're you're absolutely right in terms of, in, in terms of gay acceptance. I do worry about race relations because it is it is the it is the gift that keeps on giving in america i mean racial strife has been here racism has been a foundation of america from the very beginning and man you know when obama won i thought well we have turned a corner haven't we and we did exactly but exactly we also learned that there were dark forces out there that didn't like that at all and we got a little complacent and they took over. (laughs) And so hopefully the pendulum is going to swing back. Let's have more whiskey. Let's have more whiskey. You're you're upsetting me. Why are you, why are you bringing this up? No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I I think I did. This is what I do. Well, 
I think we ought to wrap this up, man. I, 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 uh, I've enjoyed this. You're, you, do you feel like your bourbon knowledge has gone up maybe just a, a, a tick? Every time I talk to you, my bourbon, my bourbon knowledge goes up a tick. Next time out, we're going to do something else. We're going to do, we've done whiskey. We did Japanese whiskey. We did bourbon. Next time out, we're going to do something completely different. We're going to do like tequila or mezcal or something. Great. I love it. My parents are huge tequila people. So if, if you can up my, if you could tick me up on tequila, they would appreciate you. Where do people find you on social media? On social media, you can look me up uh, on Instagram at, at Ben A. Norris. And then on, I have my own YouTube channel and you can type in Benjamin Norris and um, you can watch all my, all my videos that I think are funny on there. I'm going to cut a couple promo videos I'll send to Ben as well. And you can check my out on at the imbiber for some stuff from this episode of the show. I want to thank uh, Joe Beatrice from Barrel Bourbon for coming on and, and giving us some knowledge and for giving us some whiskey. Thank you, Joe. Uh, of course, Ben Norris, everybody's got to check out Never Have I Ever on Netflix. Again, I watched the whole thing. I'm excited about that show. This is the bummer. Another big bummer of COVID is knowing that you're not in production even. So I'm going to have to wait That's right. quite some time because I'm not going to lie to you. I'm smitten by the cousin. So what, what's the uh, what's the female lead's uh, name? Uh, the female leads uh, in the show, her name is Davy. Davy, and then her older cousin. Kamala. That's it. Who might have actually been named after Kamala Harris. See, there you go. Well, I'm I'm smitten with her, and that's part of the reason I kept watching. Uh, mm-hmm. No, but you, you're, you do a great, <laughs> you're great on that show, man, and I, I tell everybody to check it out. Uh, and then always looking forward to what you got coming up next, and we'll have you back anytime you want to come back on this show. Do some boozing. Uh, and I want to thank you out there in the audience for for tuning in. Next up, next episode, big one. We got Dan Aykroyd on the next episode. Dan Aykroyd, freaking blues brother, man. That's our next episode. I'm so excited to talk to Dan Aykroyd. That's coming up. And uh, I don't know, Ben, you got anything else? Um, no, I think that's it. I, I, just to be followed by Dan Aykroyd is... You're the, you're the opening act for Dan Aykroyd right now. That's, Who knows? I, it's going to be hard to follow me, but I, I think he could... I think, I, could I think you've done a tremendous job here, man. You really have. And, and I, I really you. appreciate you coming on. And thank, thank you, everybody you out there. Cheers. <laughs>